I was going to thank you for the puppet show, but then, yeah, I uh, just let everyone down here. So you're cool. What a way to start here. <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, actually, that commercial, I thought that's the best commercial I've ever seen. <laughs> Quick. I like that. I believe there's a children's story. Is there a children's story this morning? All right, so it's the... Did I say story? I'm already fumbling and bumbling over my words here. Uh, yeah, so there's children's church downstairs this morning. Well, if you will turn with me in your Bibles to the book of, anyone guess what book we're in? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the last two verses, verses 20 and 21. And if you, um, I just, I got to apologize, I don't have any of those fancy slides up there. Um, like Pastor Dan, I guess. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. I appreciate those slides, but if you have your Bibles turned, there's also Bibles in your in your front of your chair you should be able to have or find it on your phone there. But join with me in, in uh, reading and studying God's Word here this morning. We're going to pick, off, pick up right where Dan left off last week. And so while you're turning, while you get your, get your place there, I want to share and begin with a story. And it's a true story. In... Uh, in December 1936, there were four Bible college students who attended a Christmas program one evening at a country schoolhouse. And seeing so many people out for the Christmas program, they thought to themselves, why can't we start a Sunday service right here in the schoolhouse? But after getting permission from the school board on the last Sunday of 1936, they held their very first service. And the congregation on that first Sunday was small, with only three families in attendance. But it was a start, and so they continued on. One of the hardships of winter was coming to a very cold building, and the first one to arrive would have to stoke the fire, build the fire in the old pot-bellied furnace. And by the time the service was over, it would finally be warm. <coughs> After the four young college students had graduated, their, got their degrees, and left school, the same body of gathered believers continued on meeting in the schoolhouse as it grew colder and more crowded each year. By 1958, the church stepped out of faith to build their own building. And three years later, 1961, right around Christmas, 25 years later, when it had all, this was 25 years later from that very first uh, service in the schoolhouse, they would meet for the first time in their own building. They met in the basement. And from there on, although never a perfect church, God would continue to bless this little church, bringing glory to God and having much eternal impact for Christ on many, both locally and internationally through the many missionaries that they supported across the world. Anyone have an idea what church I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Manners History. But it's a great story, I think, and it's, it's cool because this is how Manor began. You know, and as, as I was preparing this, this sermon this week, I was thinking if it was possible in some way that we could, if we could ever talk to those four original students that if they would have ever thought or imagined, or imagined that the Lord would take that initial prompting at that Christmas program, and them starting that first service in that old schoolhouse, if, he, if they would have ever thought or imagined that God could turn that into a church that would last 87 years and counting, here we are today, and I'm pretty sure they would have said, no way, no way. But I'm pretty sure of what, I know what they would have said. And I think they would have echoed the same praise that Paul does found in our passage today. So if you look in your Bibles, verse 20 in chapter 3 of Ephesians, it says, Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Would you agree with me that that's something they might echo? Are you with me? Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you this morning for these, uh, this great doxology that Paul pens here. We thank you um, that we're able to study and look at your word here together. I pray, Lord, for spiritual understanding that you would, your, your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts, applying this text to our daily lives here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, this morning, I want to encourage you, um, if you're facing difficult circumstances, if you're facing difficult things in your life, to not lose hope, to not lose heart, because we serve a powerful God who is presently at work in us, and He deserves all the glory. We serve a powerful God. Now, as we look at the text before us, the first thing I want us to think about is, is why the shout of praise? And this declaration from the Apostle Paul. What causes, what causes Paul to write this doxology right smack dab in the middle of Ephesians, of his letter? Well, I want to suggest to you a couple reasons here. And the first thing that you'll notice is that uh, this doxology is how Paul concludes his prayer. This is how he concludes his prayer for the Ephesian believers. And Paul here, he's ending his prayer in exactly the same way that Jesus taught his disciples to close out their prayers. You all remember in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? You remember our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be his name, and, and so on. You remember that. Well, if you were to break down the Lord's Prayer in its most basic structure, we, it starts with praise for God, requests in the middle, and then praise to God. And this, and this is the same structure that we find here in Paul's prayer. And it starts in verse 14. This is actually Paul's second prayer in Ephesians. And it's a prayer for spiritual strength. His first prayer is found in chapter 1. And it's a prayer for spiritual understanding. And if you will remember Pastor Dan's message from last week. Paul's main request was that for spiritual strength. And he, and he words it. His request is worded. So that um, according to the riches of our Heavenly Father, He would grant their inner beings to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. And then the result of that Holy Spirit empowering would be so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. That they would be rooted and grounded in the love, being able to comprehend and know the vastness of the love of Christ. And then ultimately, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. Is that not the ultimate goal of believers? Filled with the fullness of God. Is that not the pinnacle? So then Paul, in verses 20 and 21, he, he prays these big things, but then he concludes with this praise of doxology to God, and it models our Lord Jesus' teaching on prayer. And not only does it follow Jesus' model of prayer, but as I've said before, right in the middle of, the, of his letter to the Ephesians, and Paul is making a transition here. He's making a transition from teaching about the head knowledge of the great central doctrines of our Christian faith and these great truths he's just, we've just learned about in the first three chapters. And now he's going to start teaching us how to live out those truths practically in our day-to-day -day lives. 
And I think it's a very fitting transition of prayer and doxology because there are going to be some challenging things that Paul says ahead in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And he's going to bring up things that we are called to live out that go against our natural old self, our old self-inclinations, things that are going to be challenging and hard to live out. But before he does, through this important doxology, we are reminded and we are reassured that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so no matter our situation, no matter what place you find yourselves this morning in, first point here is God is able to answer our biggest prayers. God is able to answer your biggest prayers. Look at beginning of verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We're underlining and highlighting and coloring in Sunday, adult Sunday school class this morning. If you have still your pencil crayon, underline that key, the key word here is able. Underline that, that word, if you will, able. We serve a God who is able. Who is able to do. How much is He able to do? Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I like how the New King James puts it. He says he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Scholars call this speaking the superlative. It's not enough for Paul just to say that God can do above all that we ask or think. It's not, a, it's not even enough to say that God can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. No, he says God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And Paul here, he's emphasizing that God is able to do stuff to the fullest and the greatest degree. He's declaring God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. His power knows no limits. And Paul is sold out in God's ability to do. Are you this morning? Jeremiah the prophet was. In Jeremiah 32, we, we recorded a discourse, or we have recorded for us a discourse between Jeremiah the prophet and God during one of Israel's darkest days in their history. The Babylonians were besieging, besieging Jerusalem. God told Jeremiah that defeat was inevitable. They were going to crush Jerusalem. They were going to get spread out across the nations while taken into captivity. And God told Jeremiah that this was inevitable, yet God also promises that he would restore Israel back to their land. And so right in the midst of this besieging of Jerusalem, God tells, God tells Jeremiah to buy some land as a sign that God will restore Israel back to their land. Who buys land when you're, uh, when you're getting defeated? And even though, yeah, it, didn't, it doesn't make sense from a human perspective, Jeremiah, he obeys and he says in verse 17, he says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Is anything too hard for thee? Is anything too hard for you? And then a few verses later, we see God responds to Jeremiah's prayer in verse 27. God says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Jeremiah 
was sold out in God's ability. We have many examples, but I'll bring another one. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was sold out in God's ability to do. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, when the angel is announcing to her that she will bear the Son of God, and then also that her that barren Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. Even the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, let it be so. She believed. She was sold out in God's ability. And the Bible is filled with many examples. We could, we could go through so many of God, examples of God doing the impossible. And maybe here you're... You're sitting here, and as we're discussing God's ability and power, some of you might be doubting and thinking, you know, you're in an impossible situation. It's beyond repair. You say to yourself, you know, I've been praying for years, and it doesn't seem like God has been doing anything. Yes, I know. I know the stories of the Bible. I know that God did great things. But He's not doing anything in my situation. Paul, you don't know my spouse. You don't know my children. You don't know my health. You don't know my classmates. You don't know my boss. You don't know what I've done, how much I've made a mess of things. You don't know my hard heart. Well, I find if you're if you are doubting God's ability, sorry, if, if you find yourself you're in that place doubting God's ability, I, I've been there recently too. And the truth of the matter is that even though God may not answer our prayers the way we think we should or, or how we think He should or when we think He should, it still, doesn't, it still doesn't change the fact that God is able. And He will answer. It just may not be the way we think. Remember Paul, he prayed three times begging the Lord to remove this thorn in his flesh. This physical ailment that he had. But God, what did he do? He didn't take it away. Instead he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God will give you the grace and the strength when you need it most. And friends, aren't you glad that we serve a God who knows all? Who is all wise. Who sees the beginning from the end and that he answers our prayers according to his divine knowledge and not our own. But it's tough. It's tough. And it's important to remind ourselves that God is able to do. And not only is able to answer our prayers in a way that goes beyond all that we ask or think, Paul encourages us by saying, if you look in verse 20, God is presently at work in the life of the believer. Listen carefully. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Did you catch that? According to the power at work within us. What is this power that Paul is talking about here? Well, the power is none other than God himself. The indwelling Holy Spirit. First Corinthians three sixteen, speaking to Christians, says, "Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you?" The Holy Spirit indwells believers 
at the moment of salvation, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying God's ability to do great things is in accordance to, or in a, in a manner corresponding to the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in us. Is the Holy Spirit's power limited in any way? No. We have the unlimited power of God working in us. And that's exactly, and the only thing that makes victory possible in the life of a Christian and then everything that Paul has just prayed for and asked for in the previous verses. And that's good news, is it not? Good news. But here's what I find really encouraging from the text. Two words. At work. At work. It's in the present tense. And that means God is presently, He is currently at work in us. Aren't you glad that Paul didn't say according to the power that was at work in us when we first got saved? There was power there, but or aren't you glad he didn't say that God will be at work in us when he returns or we get to heaven? No, God is presently at work in the lives of believers. And I find that really encouraging when I'm impatient and I'm doubting God is doing anything. Some of you might say, well, I don't feel it, though. I don't see His hand at work. Nothing seems to be happening here. And I know I've, I've felt these, these things recently, too. And, and yet the Holy Text, the Holy Spirit-inspired text says He's presently at work in us. So we all have a choice to make, right? We can either go with our feelings and our own thinking, by what we can see and understand, or we can trust by faith. We can be encouraged, we can rest in the knowledge and the fact that God is currently and presently working in the life of all believers. God has a plan. And He will work all things together for good to those who love Him according to His purpose. Some have compared God's working in our lives to that of a skilled rug maker. As we go through life, we, we only view and see the underside of the rug as it is being stitched. We are unable to fully understand what the skilled rug maker is doing and designing from up above. And it's only when the rug has been completed and the rug is then flipped over and then we, we are able to see that masterful, beautiful design, right? You know, when we meet Jesus in eternity, we're going gonna to learn a lot, aren't we? And you know what we're going to do when we meet Jesus? We're going to give glory to Him forever and ever. It's going to be awesome. But yet while we are yet to enter into eternity, not only is God able to answer our biggest prayers on earth, not only is God presently at work within us, but number three, God deserves all the glory. God deserves all the glory. Paul says in, in verse 21, he says, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Makes sense, doesn't it? God gives the power. God gets the glory. You know, the Bible speaks of God's glory in two ways. There's God's described glory, 
And there is God's ascribed glory. I like the way one creature puts it. He says, there is the intrinsic glory of God, the inherent glory of God. This glory is not merely another one of God's attributes. This glory is the sum total of all His divine perfections. It is the crushing weight of His holy character. It is the blinding light of His divine presence. This is God's described glory. The Bible also speaks of His ascribed glory. God's ascribed glory is the believer's response to the self-revelation of who God is and what He has done. And this is the type of glory that we find in verse 21. And Paul says three things about this ascribed glory. Firstly, Paul declares that this ascribed glory goes to, goes to who? Goes to Him. To God alone, to no one else. God alone is worthy of our praise, our honor, our worship, and thanksgiving. Secondly, note that this ascribed glory to God should be found in the church and in Christ Jesus. The church and Jesus are inseparable. Jesus is the head of the church. The church is His bride. God cannot be given glory in a church where Jesus is not the head, and where Jesus is not central, and where He is not worshipped and praised. And so when the church is all about Jesus... Filled with sinners saved by grace through faith in the Son, then God is glorified and He deserves all the glory. Just as it says in Psalm 19:1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So the church ought to be a place that declares God's glory by His handiwork in our changed lives because of what Jesus has done. And then lastly, Paul says that this ascribed glory to God deserves to last for all generations, forever and ever. May we at Manor be a church, may we be a people, that when the world in our community looks at us, they see the glory of God. When they wonder what has happened to these people, why do they act the way that they do, these Maharites, they're a different bunch, aren't they? But may they see God's glory and understand that it's all because of Jesus. What a high calling, what a high responsibility we have, we all have, as we go out into the world in our weeks. So just in, in closing here, I think, I think we've pretty well covered everything except one word here. Any guesses what that one word is? Amen. Amen. There's Pastor Dan for you. Amen. This word means, what does this word mean? Yeah, let it be so, so be it. Truly, truly. Are you with Paul and what he praises? You know, I wonder how often when we pray, are we too quick? To say, Amen. How often do we dump our, our grocery list on Him, say Amen, and off we go about our business? Forgetting to take the time before He answers our prayers. Before. To declare who God is. To remind ourselves of God's power. 
And then to remember the ultimate purpose for His answers to our prayers, which is what? Ultimately, God's answers, prayer, answers to our prayers are for His glory. His glory. You know, it's just hit me here. Just Bruce McCaskill, I thought he did this well. When he was chair, chair of the board, and, and when he prayed, I, just, I always appreciated just his sincerity of how he would, I don't know, he'd bring the sense of calm as he prayed because he was declaring, he would declare who God was and remind us it's for the glory of God. God gives the power, God deserves the power, or deserves the glory. Because when we pray to a God who is able to do, He gets the glory. And I just want to end by encouraging you to keep uh, dreaming and praying for big things that God will bring, that will pray for big things that will bring glory to God. The famous Dwight Al Moody said to his kids on his deathbed, if God is your partner, make your plans big. Pray for big, big things, just like those, uh, those four Bible college students. Just like they did 87 years ago in that country schoolhouse. Our annual meeting is, is coming up in a few weeks. And I like it. It's a time to review the, how God has blessed the different ministries. And we, hear, we read and, and, and hear the different reports of what God has done. And then it's also important. It's an important time as we look ahead and we plan for the next year. And as leaders and members of this church... Let's ask God to do big things. Let's plan for Him to do big things in faith, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think for this next year. There is nothing too big for God. And then let's, let's pray for the things that we face in our day-to-day -day lives. Let's pray for each other and those of us we know who are going through difficult things. Let's continue on. Let's not let doubt creep into our minds, doubting God's ability or that He is or that He isn't working in a situation. Let's not go down that path. I know when I begin to doubt, one of the first things I notice is that I pray less. Or I even completely stop praying about something, or or even adjust my prayers to to something more that I think is achievable or attainable. How silly is that? When we have access to a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I'll just end with, there's an old familiar hymn that says, To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Great things He has taught us, great things He hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory. Great things He hath done. I'm just going to ask the uh, worship team to come up here as I, as I close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this, this great doxology, Lord, this reminder, this reassurance, Lord, that you, God, are able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. Lord, we just uh, pray, Lord, for each one here that they you would grant them their, your Holy Spirit to give them inner strength this week to be able to fulfill whatever you call them to be and to do, Lord. We pray these things, Lord, that... As we go through this week, we bring more glory to your name, Lord. May we be a church that glorifies you forever and ever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.